Hey sickos, I'm LJ. And I'm Tao. And this is Say Psycho Right Now. Say Psycho Right Now is a true crime and paranormal podcast. Some content may be considered disturbing or graphic. This podcast also contains adult language. Listener discretion is advised. To access our socials or become a Patreon member with access to early episodes and bonus content, find us on any social media platform and consult the link tree in our bio or go to www.patreon.com slash psycho right now. You can also follow us on our socials or wherever you stream your podcasts and leave a five-star review if you're enjoying our content so we can continue to reach more people. This is a great free way to support your favorite content creators. Case suggestions or stories to share can also be sent to saypsychorightnow at gmail.com. Now let's get into today's episode. Yay! sickos welcome back to another episode of say psycho right now welcome 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 if you're new here welcome to the shit show and Um, also oh go ahead oh i was just gonna say that this is a three uh, a part three to our series about that time that lj survived a cult so if you have not listened to parts one and two probably go do that now God, um, that's exactly what I was gonna say. We're so insane. Oh my god, we're so insane. Love that for us. Beautiful. So where we last left off, we were talking about like we covered the camping trip. We covered, you know, a bit of getting back from the camping trip and some of what things looked like in general. But while we go down this rabbit hole, and honestly, like we could we could have basically a whole series on this and we aren't going to do that to you guys because that's not what this podcast is about there's a lot that I'm going to gloss over like for example the level systems like rules on each level things like that that might be like a bonus thing we do later if like people are super interested in it or something you know what I mean but the Mm, focus of today's episode part three because I want to start to wind things up and get back to like 
our normal content, not that this hasn't been a grand time, but what we're focusing on today is what makes a cult a cult and directly as that relates to my personal experience and Mm. like identifiers of this place that made me in hindsight say this was a cult if that makes sense so yeah i'm gonna walk you guys through that um step by step also um before we jump into today's episode i want to take a moment to thank two people um person number one that i want to thank is Alyssa kemper Alyssa has become one of our pod beanie baby patreons and we are super grateful for her support and then we yeah. also have our current Patreon, Vicky. She's been a Patreon for some time now. But shout out to Vicky because we launched a 15-day campaign today. And as we're recording this, it is Wednesday, October 18th is the day that we started the campaign in 2023, if anybody's listening to this way later. And this 15-day campaign is specifically for one design of shirt. It's available in a variety of styles. It's You can find it on our TikTok, on our Facebook, on our Instagram. But we have launched this campaign because we are so close to our goals of upgrading our microphones and also bringing back the store. So we're super mm. close to both of those. And Vicky not only ordered a shirt, but also made a donation, which you can do check out if you feel so called I didn't think anybody would actually utilize that feature so yeah I almost threw up I felt so touched (laughs) not only that um, but she she placed her order in literally 3.2 seconds yeah it was like we we launched it and she's like I got you I'm gonna place an order I was like oh great that's so nice and then it was like I ordered and I was like whoa girl yeah Vicky was like hold my beer and watch this shit yeah she was like i know that you don't know the internet works this fast but it does and i was like okay vicky go off yeah go off vicky absolutely go so off, vicky. We, we appreciate you super appreciate and those are our thank yous that's like the guinea on our little campaign and what it's there for all products will ship at the end of the 15 days they do it in a batch like that to reduce costs so after the 15 day campaign all shirts that are ordered will be produced. So those will be coming super soon. And now we can kind of get into today's episode. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not even going to bother to like cite this as an actual source. If you guys want to see the source, you can Google cult Wikipedia. I swear to God, like that's it. So just a general, general definition of what a cult is, right? So in most contexts, a cult is a relatively small group which is typically led by a charismatic and self-appointed leader who excessively controls its members, requiring, whoa, that was a sad way to say that word, requiring unwavering devotion to a set of beliefs and practices which are considered deviant. Deviant meaning outside the norms of society, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to talk you guys through the general identifiers of recognizing a cult and I'm going to identify those up front but then I'm going to talk you through those step by step as it relates to my facility so this is the cult indoctrination process so initially they're going to identify a potential recruit 
They're going to persuade the recruit to take part. There will be love bombing. They're going to then want to kind of sell you what they got, right? There will be mm, yeah. tough love. They'll break you down. They'll make you renounce your loved ones. And then there will be the introduction of core beliefs. So like we touched on in previous episodes, right, we don't blame the parents here. We're of the firm belief that the parents, at least in our situation, were as victimized as we are, just in a different way. So in this instance, the process of cult indoctrination is kind of unique because it doesn't start with us, the cult members. It actually starts Mm -hmm. higher than that. It starts with our parents. They start there and then work their way down. So we have step one, identify the potential recruit. So not only does this refer to us and our parents, but interestingly, it refers to the staff members, okay? So the Mm -hmm. staff members who worked there were largely very underqualified. We're talking people who are freshly graduated and predominantly graduated from Franciscan University in Ohio, which is a very specific demographic, right? We're talking very, very devout young Catholic people who have Mm, degrees in... Yeah, and they have degrees in generally... I was just going to ask, because I'm not familiar with that university, what the... Mm -hmm. So I'm presuming it's like a Catholic university. Exactly. Yeah, it's a Catholic university. And I mean, I guess they could have chosen like any Catholic university to predominantly recruit from. But I guess they chose Franciscan. And Franciscan has particularly devout demographic of attendees. I think that, you know, it's pretty safe to assume that people who you know, go off to college, right? They go away to a Catholic university in Ohio. They're going to be pretty devout, right? Because like, for example, another big Catholic university is Ave Maria. But Ave Maria is located in Florida, right? So that's a school Mm -hmm. where, from my perspective, a Catholic young person could appease their parents by going to Ave Maria, but still have the goal of having that Florida experience. You know what I mean? Sure, absolutely. But if you go to Ohio, like, you just want to be there. <laughs> you know, like... It's, there's <laughs> nothing... Yeah, no, that tracks. There's there's really nothing there to... Yeah. Yeah. I mean... And so I don't know exactly how they came to that conclusion of that was going to be their primary recruit place, but that that's how they operated. And these young people generally had degrees in unrelated fields, okay? We're not talking young people with degrees in psychology. I, I can't remember a single staff member who was recruited and came on board who actually had a degree in a related field, Right. We're talking like English majors, theology majors, you know, somebody had like a major in biology. You follow me? Like there's no legitimate qualification other than that these are young, devout, missionary type people 
who want to do good and are generally impressionable and don't have an understanding of mental right. health care. Well, and not only that, but, you know, to add into that, and I, and I know that, you know, when they get there, there's a certain point where they become perpetrators, right? The staff. Oh, 100%. Yeah. But... Another thing is, you know, they're probably like a lot of new college grads that are really desperate for work experience. No, absolutely. Desperate for work experience. They're wanting to do good and they don't come there for the pay either because the pay isn't great. They are genuinely wanting to like, in their eyes, bring the word of God to young people who they consider Mm. to be at risk youth. You know, sure, they think thinking, this, this is, is going to look good on my resume. Absolutely. And they think that this is like a mission experience without, you know, the risks of going abroad. Right. They, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And plus, you know, a lot of people from Franciscan have participated in this program before. So then you have word of mouth recommendations, things like that oh, so-and-so went to Trinity Teen Solutions and they were a staff member and, you know, they had a great experience and yada, yada, you know what I mean? So they pick from that pool of people, though, because they're young, impressionable, easily manipulated and have a desire to be good. And they also, I'm sorry, to do good. And they have core beliefs similar to the core beliefs of the program that they feel that they can prey on those beliefs and distort Mm. them to make them carry out things that they otherwise might not think very Stanford prison experiment vibes, like people in unusual circumstances will do unusual things. Sure. Absolutely. Right. And then separately we have the parents, right? The parents Mm -hmm. might get word of mouth referrals Or they might get online, right, and Google Catholic Therapeutic Boarding School, okay? They see a Catholic Therapeutic Boarding School that seems to have animal therapy. It seems to be faith-based, which is very important to people, or to some people, you know. Definitely to this demographic, that would be a priority item. And this website makes this place look like a therapeutic Christian horse camp with a little tough love. So... They target that specific demographic of people, right? And then we move on to step two, persuade the recruit to take part. So this is where we start to see the, the owners and the people that they have in recruiting say things like, your daughter will die if she continues on this path. We had our friend Vicky that we were mentioning earlier over from Patreon She offered some really valuable insight in a comment on one of our Patreon discussion posts, and she said, you know, hey, how how we were talking in previous episodes about them having custody temporarily signed over to the transport services, I wonder if that could be because when you're at the airport, if you try to tell somebody that you're being kidnapped or taken against your will... It protects the company. I bet you that's exactly what it is. I've been marinating on that for 10 years and and couldn't come to that conclusion. I mean, and it checks out. Flight attendants, airport staff are all trained to look for the signs of a kidnapping victim or a human trafficking victim. This This is something that they go through special training for. 
Right. And so even if you don't, even if you don't necessarily say anything, you know what I mean? Right. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, that kind of addresses that up front. So again, with persuading the recruit to take part, we have the, your daughter will die if she continues on this path. And, you know, let's set this up. Other parents in your position have done this before. You don't come out here because your daughter is so manipulative. She, she can manipulate you along the way. We need to take that factor out. This is going to require some tough love. Like we need you to temporarily sign her over so that we can get her out to us safely. Help us help you, right? And they're really selling the Catholic environment. They're selling, you know, the equine therapy, the animal therapy, group therapy. You know, we're going to treat this as a family problem. We're going to do family therapy, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on. We're Sorry, just to interrupt, because I don't think I've ever asked you this. Were your parents or any of the people that you know, were, you, were your parents ever looped in on any therapy sessions, like, in that way? So, we're going to get into that okay. here in a bit, but actual family therapy was extraordinarily rare, and okay. it's funny because they marketed themselves as offering family therapy, but they actually prioritized family alienation, which is the complete right. opposite. So we'll definitely be getting more into that for sure. So then after persuading the recruit to take part, which in this case is our parents, right? Then Mm -hmm. the love bombing starts for our parents, okay? So for our parents, this looks like, you know, you're making the best choice for your daughter. You're saving her life. This is such a selfless decision, etc., Now we're going to circle back to the love bombing because we see this in different ways with the girls, but it's definitely still something that is experienced, just kind of a little bit on a different timeline, if that makes sense. Okay, so the next step in the process of cult indoctrination is these people are going to sell it, right? You've, mm. you've come, you're biting, now they're going to sell it. So when the kid is there, they are going to make the parents think that it's actually worse than the parents thought. For example, my husband went to the boys ranch, right? Which mm-hmm. was same town, had no contact with the girls ranch other than that we attended the same church, but we were not allowed to look at each other, not allowed to talk to each other. Like we were at the front right of the chapel and they were at the back left of the chapel. Okay. But like, I have a really excellent relationship with my mother-in-law. And at one point she shared with me that they told her, the owners, and mind you, the owner of the boys ranch was the father of the lady who owned and operated the girls ranch. Okay. So this is a family business. (laughs) Okay. So So really, they're the the same owners. I mean, they're not technically, but let's be real, they are. Exactly, yes. By all intents and purposes. Now, when it comes to selling it to these parents, my mother-in-law confided in me at one point that she was told by the facility that her relationship with her son 
was the worst parent-child relationship that they had ever seen. Now, for my mother-in-law, that was perplexing because she was like, okay, you know, things aren't great right now, but really the worst, like the, the worst, the worst that you've ever seen. She's like, I just, I don't see it. Like, I mean, I know it's not great, but it yeah. surely can't be that bad. But well, it's it perplexing. Also it's perplexing to me, and I don't know their whole history, but I know who your mother-in-law is as a gem of a human freaking being and a mother. Exactly. I mean, I mean, an absolute gem of a human being. Right. And, I mean, nobody is perfect, and obviously, you know, families have history and stuff. But there is one thing that my husband always made clear. He's like, even at the worst points in, you know, my history and how I acted out and this or that, whatever, I love my mama. <laughs> you know, he, he did. He loved his mom. He loved his dad very much. And I love his mom. <laughs> they're seriously same. And I mean, yeah, so for her, she's like, one, this is perplexing because you know, we're not perfect by any means, but like the worst really, like, I, I just don't see how that could even be physically possible. And then two, though, that validates for them that like, wow, like we did the right thing sending him to get help because clearly we need it if we're the worst that they've ever seen. And you want to know what, though? They're not the only ones being told this. Anybody <laughs> anybody who comes across. It's like every time you turn around, I'm hearing somebody else who's been through the program say that they've been told that their parent-child relationship is the worst case they've ever seen, that they've made the right choice. But it's always, oh, we need to keep them here longer because it's they just the, need more intensive therapy. It's the same speech. It's, it's a copy-paste. Mm -hmm. And exactly. You've got, you've got these parents who are being targeted not only emotionally, but financially. These parents are paying a lot of money. Exactly, because these parents, they're and, desperate to get their children the help that they think that they need to to raise functional adult people who are going to, you know, perform in society yeah. they don't want to be you know having a kid who in their eyes that they failed because they couldn't help them overcome right. addiction or they couldn't help them overcome depression or they couldn't help them develop a healthy faith life or sense of self or whatever you know what and, I mean right and even though it's not necessarily included in the dictionary definition that is something we see in the cults. It all comes back to the money. That's a fact. That's it a fact. All, it always, there is always financial motivation. Correct. Thank you. Financial yeah, no motivation. problem. And so, oh, no, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, and there's, there's a lot of that here. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so then next on our list, we have the tough love. Okay. And they're going to tell the parents, like, because this is such a bad situation, like, you know, we've always said there was going to be some tough love, but this is going to be tougher than you think, okay? We're mm. not going to do phone calls. We're not going to do letters. They need to focus on themselves for a while. So communication is cut off between the girl and their family. And during this time, rigid rules and rituals are put into place for the girl. 
your autonomy is taken away. So bathroom breaks, you're going to the bathroom with the door open and you're going to be watched to use the restroom. Um, sometimes if a staff member is unavailable, another girl is going to have to be the one watching you use the restroom and upper level mandatory fasting, mandatory prayer, isolation, silence. One thing that I even experienced included forced exorcism where I was literally taken to the monastery next to our little chapel where we went to church. And mm -hmm. who is the head monk of the monastery, you ask? Oh, it's the brother of the lady who runs the ranch, okay? So this isn't a, a situation where, like, you would think if this wasn't directly tied to the cult, right? This might sure. be a safe place where you could go into a confessional and tell a priest, hey, this is what's happening. This is the abuse that I'm experiencing. I'm unsafe. I need help and get some help, right? right. No, because you're in a monastery that is run by the brother of the lady <laughs> and it's it's all tied together and it's almost like again this is another sign of a cult it's reminiscent of the flds community yeah absolutely everything is run by the leadership a hundred percent and you know in this case like quite literally one of the things that they did was they took us into the only way I can describe this is a dungeon. Like literally everything is stone. It's cold. It's drafty. There are torches lit. There are monks in hoods. Like I can't even make this up. There's a Latin mass that happens. There are Latin like monk chants and everything. And then one by one we're taken off to the side to like a separate room and you can still hear the chants going on in the other room from mm -hmm. the brothers, like the, the remaining monks who aren't actually performing the exorcism. But you had mm -hmm. to give like a confession about like usually a confession in the Catholic Church. You'll give you'll ask forgiveness for sins that you feel you've committed since your last confession. Right. Sure. In this situation you're asking forgiveness for every sin that you've ever committed in your life. So you're going through your entire life, anything wrong that you've ever done. And they put a cross on your forehead. They're praying over you in Latin louder and louder. They're telling you, you're going to feel heavy. You know, you might scream, you might this, you might that. And I'm like, I've got nothing for you. Like, I don't feel <laughs> heavy. I'm not screaming. Like, I'm not possessed. You know what I mean? But they're like, this is an exorcism. It was a very strange experience so um, this was but, not this was not at all the catholic church that you grew up in no i mean it was like the catholic church that i grew up in on steroids and i know that these are supposed to be resources available within the catholic faith right mm -hmm. however it's like bastardized version of them because it's like because you have sinned mm -hmm. you know you're so bad and you're so far gone that the only explanation is that you must be possessed so to make sure we need to exercise you that's radical that's very radical right yeah that's i have a lot of friends that grow up catholic and i 
don't know anybody that's been exercised. For, yeah, I was going to say, know. exactly how many of them have undergone exorcisms? Just just curious. <laughs> like, probably yeah, not. Uh, <laughs> I think they're the only one that I know of. I mean, well. when you were, prior to this, you grew up in a pretty devout Catholic family. Oh, for sure. I mean, I'm one of eight kids. All my family is still practicing Catholic. You know, personally, I've even had my kids baptized. My oldest had her first communion. And, you know, while I don't necessarily agree with all Catholic doctrine and things like that, like they're fundamental things that I don't necessarily agree with. Like, mm-hmm. I kind of look at it as, as more of, like, a cultural relation, but I definitely have a spiritual connection to the Christian faith personally, but yeah. because of some issues with doctrine and because of my trauma directly related to the Catholic Church and the trauma right. of many people related to the Catholic Church, like, I can't comfortably, like, claim catholicism i guess just because of everything i've experienced claim to currently be a practicing catholic but case in point being you know you're 15 right when you get to the call right you've been raised in the catholic church up until this point very devout family and this is your first experience with exorcism right absolutely you know so it's you know just to it's just to, very like, radical and specific to like like i mean it, it's it's a radical thing it's a radical yeah, thing it's not something exactly. that this this is just what catholics do it's not I now there are some people out there that don't have experience in the catholic faith that might think oh well like that's what catholics do yeah, and like it's no. genuinely not it, it's yeah. not like i have a sister who's very devout catholic and she even teaches religion and she teaches it at like a middle school level so she has a pretty comprehensive understanding of theology and she's heard some of my stories and been like that's completely unacceptable you know like yeah so this is not the baseline for the catholic faith and i don't want you know catholic individuals who are listening or people who don't have hands-on experience with the catholic faith to you know, think that we're, like, coming for the Catholics. That's not it. This is a radical cult situation, okay? Now, aside from that, we also touched on the cutoff communication between the girl and family. So, you know, this initially looks like no letters, no phone calls. When letters do start to happen, it's just between parent and girl, not uh, siblings, right? Just parent and girl, and only on Sundays. And if you write something that the staff members don't like, they will cross it off, tell you what needs to be corrected. You have to write a new letter until the sanitized version is what is sent home, essentially. Phone calls are actively monitored by a staff member who's listening in. And if you become too emotional, if you try to indicate what you're actually experiencing there, they will say that you're being manipulative and therefore the phone call needs to be terminated and you might lose phone call privileges. Now, personally, at one point during my time at Trinity, I'd been there for quite some time, maybe like a year plus at this point. And the staff actually made the recommendation to my family that they just stopped speaking with me. They thought that would be for the best. 
So they they discontinued communication. That was all phone calls, all letters. And finally, when I got the quote-unquote privilege back of communicating with my family, I wrote a letter telling them, hey, this is what's going on on the ranch, but like a sanitized version because I had been groomed to do that, right? And then because my parents received a sanitized version that didn't necessarily say, I'm a bad person, I'm so sorry that I haven't been trying hard enough because in my eyes, I've been trying the hard, the hardest I fucking could and nothing was good right. enough, right? You know, right. so I wasn't like, sorry, I'm not trying because I was. <laughs> and because I didn't say something like that, they were told to discommunicate or discontinue communication with me again. So it was very psychologically damaging. And then beyond mm-hmm. that, these how long would these periods of no communication allowed typically last? Months at a time. Okay. Months at a time. And also for the majority of my time there. And when I say majority, I was there for two years, two weeks, two days. I would say that there might have been a couple of months. And mind you, letters are once a week. There might have been a couple mm-hmm. of months total where I was allowed to send letters to mm-hmm. siblings. Okay. And the reason why was always uh, glazed over, right? But my genuine mm-hmm. belief is that because I had several siblings, that they just didn't want to fucking deal with it. So they were like, on the account of you have too many siblings and we just don't want to deal with it you're just not allowed to talk to them either because it's inconvenient. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, great. Okay. So as a part of the tough love, we also have sleep deprivation. So you would be all day very intense labor, right? Very intense Mm -hmm. labor in the fields. You know, we, we did manual field irrigation, which is a very outdated process to prep for field irrigation before irrigation season we had to remove all the rocks from the field this is two massive fields that were de-rocking essentially you know in off season when it was winter we did lamb shifts so we did the breeding for the lambs we oversaw the entire breeding program this included waking up during the night for lamb shifts that included halter breaking and getting the lambs ready for show once they were born if there were hay runs that needed to be done to go and retrieve hay, stack a, a long bedded trailer full of hay, bring that back to the ranch, stack it, you know, there, and then hay the animals, all that type of stuff. Like that was all on us. So we were doing labor all the time. There was no central heater air. So fires were up to us to keep going. That included waking up during the night. They would put people on the fire challenge, which was essentially an effort to sleep deprive an individual because it would be up to them to wake up during the night, build fires from scratch during the night while everybody else was sleeping in all of the cabins. So not just the cabin you're sleeping in, but there were two cabins people might sleep in. You had to wake up, build fires in both of those cabins and the one in our cook cabin, which was like the kitchen, because Mm -hmm. if any of the fires went out, for an extended period of time, not only would it be cold, but the pipes could burst. Also, there were some people who didn't have a bed for whatever reason. This could be because you were on 
the chair or some form of isolation. It could be because you were on level one, or it could just be because they decided that they didn't want to give you a bed. Like for me, because I had the trichotillomania where I would pull my hair out, one thing mm-hmm. that they would do is require me to wear gloves all the time as like a shaming and humiliation tactic, and also to remind them to keep an eye on me, I guess. And in lieu of giving me a bed, because I had this condition, a lot of the times I was required to sleep on a sleeping bag by stack with my hands outside of the sleeping bag. And if my hands moved towards my face when I was sleeping, I would be woken up. So I might be woken up, you know, 10 times a night, just because my hand was too close to my face, something like that. And then there's also the neglect component. We had limited bathroom access to the point where it wasn't uncommon for girls to urinate themselves or defecate themselves due to lack of bathroom access. We were told that they wouldn't punish us with food that was even in like their manual, but we would be denied meals, put on those bland diets that we talked about in the previous episode. Or my personal favorite was when I was required to eat only meat and cheese on wheat bread with celery every meal for literal months at a time. (laughs) Like, ridiculous. And then there was also a time when, okay, remember those fires that I was talking about, right? We had to keep them going Mm -hmm. all night or a pipe could burst. Well, (laughs) there was one winter there where the pipe burst pretty early into the winter when somebody was on the fire challenge and the owner co-owner i should say jerry the husband of the guy or husband of the lady who owned the place he said Mm -hmm. that our natural consequence was that we would have ice cold water only so usually we had five minute showers two times weekly and mind you we're working with feces and stuff like that every day Oh, that's disgusting. Super foul. So we have five-minute showers two times weekly. Sometimes we would even miss those. But then we didn't have any warm water. And mind you, temperatures got as low as negative 60. So, And we didn't have any central heat either. So you're literally like being required to either bathe in ice or mm-hmm. like not bathe at all and just be disgusting which we were already going to be disgusting either way oh and birthing sheep we had like animal birth all over us for days at a time and stuff like that completely foul unhygienic disgusting yeah i mean i i I delivered calves for a living for a long time and it's a foul process yeah it's completely i mean and this was something i did for a living for seven years so i was accustomed to it but I still wanted to wash my ass as soon as humanly possible after I got finished delivering a calf. Yeah, and it might be four business days before we had that opportunity. And even if we did, we might not have access to even tepid water to do that with. It's like ice cold right. water and then not even having adequate heat to warm up in after the fact. So it's very, very disgusting. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes we didn't really have much of a choice other than to get our bodies in there for a couple of seconds, like do like a war bath type situation and get out. And that was like, if we even had it in us to do that, because it was so 
cold that some of us would just be desperate enough where we would like fake a shower you know like to like mm-hmm. we'd be like get ourselves wet enough to where it looked like we showered but it's like you can't get in there you can't spend five minutes in there like you're gonna become fucking hypothermic like what you know yeah uh, ridiculous and then lack of medical attention was a big one a big thing that comes to my mind is the second year hiking trip right you guys remember how bad I was on my first hiking trip. Now, I had been there for a year at this point. So I was very, like, compliant. I was at, a, like, a very good place in my quote-unquote treatment, right? And was generally, like, a compliant kid. You know, if they asked me to do something, I was doing it. And we came up on the hiking trip, and I had the worst pain that at that point in my life I had ever experienced. And I remember saying, like, I needed to go to the bathroom. I went to the bathroom. I thought that I was going to have, like, an aggressive stomach issue of some sort. Like, I didn't know if it was going to be, like, a curling or what what was waiting for me in the bathroom, (laughs) okay? I just knew, like, a bitch was not well. And Mm -hmm. I was, like, completely, like, I was shaking. I was sweating. I was whatever. And I remember, like, borderline crawling out of the bathroom stall and being, Mm -hmm. like, something is wrong with me. And they were, like, you're not getting out of the hiking trip. I'm, like, no, you don't understand. I'm, like, I'm not trying to get out of the hiking trip. I swear to you, something is medically wrong. And they were like, okay, well, here's two Tylenol, you know, just sit here and hang out for a bit. But like, you're not getting out of the hiking trip. And so they gave me Tylenol, loaded me into the van. And I am not even shitting you when I say that I lost consciousness twice on that drive. Like not, Mm -hmm. oh, I dozed off. I fainted from the pain (laughs) in my seat, like fainted. And anyway, once we got there, I was completely fine. Uh, But you know what I know that was now? Fam, we call that a rupturing ovarian cyst. That was my first experience. Yeah, that was my first experience with a, like, rupturing ovarian cyst. I I wish that somebody had, like, taken my temperature or something. Because now I know that a cyst rupturing, like, with that level of severity of pain literally worse than childbirth which I've been through twice at this point in time like Mm -hmm. I had to have had a fever with it and stuff but I was like fucking unwell and then we got there and I was like okay good like I'm fine I can go I can hike now and I powerhouse through it and it was fine but like the fact that I'm sitting there literally like fainting sweating shaking this and that like you can't fake it you physically could not fake it if you want to Also, when she says she's been through childbirth twice at this point in time, she means present time at the time of this recording, not cult time, just for those who are new here to clarify. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, hindsight is 2020, right? There were were no children in the time of cult. She's talking about present day. I'm saying that present day me, had Mm. I known that that type of pain was worse than the childbirth I would later have experienced, I wouldn't mm-hmm. have been like, okay, I'll try to wait it out. I would have been like, yeah. I need an ambulance. Like, we need to be at the hospital. You know what I mean? Right. 
not that they would have listened because I doubt they gave a shit. But point being, like, I now know that the pain I was experiencing at the time was literally worse than I've experienced during childbirth. It was very bad. And they didn't care. And then I went on a two-week backpacking trip immediately. And this, yeah. So this brings us to them breaking us down, right? And Mm -hmm. a lot of the times this was with challenges that were in insane excess, okay? So I'm going to give you some that I experienced. One was, and this was something that would usually be given to you shortly after you arrived, right? They would give you a a composition book and tell you to literally write the story of your life. So then you write about your life from beginning to end. And they're wanting you to detail like everything you've ever done wrong, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so you do that and then they say that's not detailed enough. Okay, so you are given a new composition book, and then you go back through and you rewrite it again, right? And then they read that, and they say, you're leaving stuff out, and we know it, but you're not. And so you go back through, you add even more detail, and then they say, you know, we're going to put you on the chair if you don't start trying. And you're like, well, what the hell else do you want from me? And then they tell you to write it again. So it's now your fourth, fifth time rewriting it or whatever. So you just start making things up. (laughs) You're like, okay, well, they don't believe that I haven't drank or that I haven't done a drug or that I haven't had sex. So I guess I'm just going to tell them what they want to hear. So I'm telling them, oh, yeah, like I drink alcohol with so-and-so or like this and that. Like stuff that literally never happened. And, like, people wonder, right. like, oh, how do false confessions happen? Literally, this is how. They would, like, give you consequences because it wasn't done correctly and you're lying. And it's like, I'm literally, I'm not lying. And then they threaten you with isolation because you're lying, but you're not lying. And so, finally, you're just like, I'm literally just going to tell them what they want to hear, I guess, because they will accept nothing else. So, that's one of their strategies for breaking you down. And then, of course, who do they give that composition book to? Your parents. Because... Of course. Yeah, your parents need to know how fake bad you are. (laughs) And it's in your handwriting, so looks pretty real to them, right? Great. Right. Um, And then they give you crazy challenges. Now, we talked about some of the ones that I've had, such as being tied to goats, uh, being tied to people, being tied to people and goats simultaneously. Stuff like that, great. One of their personal faves to do was to put you mm, on a lot a of in. One. Yeah, it was a lot. One of their super favorite things to do was to put you on an insane amount of challenges at the same time to make you feel like you're losing your fucking shit so that you crack under pressure, okay? So here's actual stuff that I had to do at the same time, okay? Mm -hmm. I was literally on a challenge called Do Everything, which is exactly what it sounds like, okay? So sweeping, mopping, cooking, dishes, feeding the animals, both, like, we're talking all the animals, not just the dogs and goats up by our cabins, but like the sheep, the horses, everything. So I'm making all the meals, doing all the dishes for like 30 people, taking care of everything on the ranch, doing all the cleaning, 
and we can't even run down from like our cabins to where the schoolhouse is and stuff until something is done and we have a certain like quote unquote goal time to be down there and if we're not down there by that time then we all have to do step ups which makes everybody hate you if you're the one responsible for causing this right so inevitably because i'm one person doing the job of 50 people while everybody sits and watches mm-hmm. we're late every day and yeah. everybody is having to do consequences because of me but i literally can't help it simultaneously I am on the Plain Jane Challenge, which was meant to make me feel bad for being myself. They said that I try to be too unique. And I'm like, literally, what the fuck does that even mean? I'm just over here existing, you sad, pathetic bitches. (laughs) Like, get a better life. What is wrong with you? So anyway, they were mad that my handwriting wasn't good, which it wasn't good because I'd been on high doses of antipsychotics that I didn't really need for a very long time, which caused like tremors and stuff like that for a very long time. So my penmanship was very poor. But instead of addressing this in a healthy way, they publicly shamed me for it and made me do kindergarten handwriting sheets. They inspected my ponytail every day and it had to be exactly in the middle of my head if it was measured with a measuring tape to be not exactly in the middle of my head that was a problem i was given red shirts to wear on some specific days and blue shirts to wear on some specific days i also had to write down everything that a staff member said to me and then have them sign it immediately after. This was because Sam Hoops, the staff member that I mentioned from episode two, was a fucking liar. And at one point, she told me that I could walk up through the field, which was like a shortcut way rather than running up if you've already run up for the day, okay? She told me that I could do that. And then I got back up to the cabin, and they were like, oh, like Sam didn't say you were coming up and I was like oh I don't know why like she she told me to go through the field so I did and I guess it was either Sam was going to get in trouble or I was going to get in trouble so Sam was like oh she lied I didn't say that she could do that and so then they came up with this thing where anytime a staff member said something I had to write it down and then they had to sign it after but if a staff member said something that was like dickish or undesirable they would just like not sign it because they could just choose to not sign it and then I would be punished for that too which was great (laughs) and there was also watering challenge 3.0 so watering challenge is when you are responsible for filling up the water for all of the girls and animals on the ranch love how they just lump them all in together right because the girls are animals basically pretty much Also, you can't fucking screw it up. Like, I just like to point that out. You're putting water Mm -hmm. in a cup or you're putting water in a trough. Like, literally, it is an idiot-proof job. And somehow, they would keep saying, oh, you're not doing it right. You're not doing it good enough. I'm like, what what the fuck else would you like me to do? Like, put lemon in there? (laughs) We don't even have lemons. Like, what do you (laughs) want from me? And so they were like watering challenge 2.0 so then everything that i'm already doing they have me doing with a trough like a small feed trough okay 
not great, but I'm doing fine. Finally, they decide that it's watering challenge 3.0, which necessitates a massive trough, like a watering trough. I am running everywhere with a large watering trough. So they are not physically hitting me, but every time that I take a step, this huge trough is hitting my legs and therefore Mm -hmm. causing welts and bruises all over my body. I was also on this challenge about playing the victim because they were trying to say that I was playing the victim about how bad that I had it. And I'm like, I'm literally not. You guys are just being dicks. Like This is a really shitty situation and I'm making the best of it. Like I'm doing the best I can. And you guys keep telling me I'm not doing enough and I don't know what else you want from me. So um, this one staff member, Katie, her job was to make me a heart out of cardboard, right? And I had to carry this heart everywhere to remind people that I'm the victim, I guess. I don't know. And then at one point, because I'm on the watering challenge, and oh, I forgot to mention, I'm also on the run everywhere challenge. So it doesn't matter if I'm running, like literally just from the table to the sink to fill up somebody's water, I have to run, which means one, I'm working with water. So water is probably gonna be sloshing, right? And two, I have this cardboard heart and this huge trough, okay? So Mm -hmm. there was one day when I was out doing the watering for the horses and it's Wyoming. So even with the heater in the watering trough, the top freezes over and I have to crack that, throw it out. And of course, Sam's on staff this day. So she tells me I need to dump this whole trough for no reason. The water is perfectly clean, but I need to dump it by hand. I can't just like tip it over either. I need to dump it and take it bucket by bucket over the fence. I still have my gloves because of trichotillomania. So my hands are getting soaked through with water from like running with these buckets of water. I'm like borderline hypothermic. (laughs) And of course the cardboard heart cannot stay dry in these conditions because I'm running with frozen water that's sloshed all over my gloves and I'm holding this heart and I'm holding this massive trough and I'm holding a bucket. You guys follow me, right? This is bullshit. And she's having all of the girls so the trough, look on as I struggle. So the, the trough is just like an accessory you have to carry around. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Okay. Um, and the intention is that it's going to physically hurt me as I run with every step. That's the intention. Sure. It's the same concept as being tied to the goat. Exactly. Thanks for noticing. Okay. But because the cardboard heart gets ruined, Sam acts like this is my fault. And now it's replaced with a boulder. So everywhere I go... I have to carry this huge trough and a boulder and whatever. And so part of my victim challenge was that after everybody watched me being the victim doing this ridiculous task that Sam had come up with, I have to go in the schoolhouse where I'm wrapped in like this hypothermic, like that you guys know what I'm talking about, like those silver sheets. Like when somebody's legitimately hypothermic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the emergency blankets. Yeah, yeah. So okay. they wrapped me in those, probably because I fucking medically needed it, honestly. But they had me sit in a chair while everybody watched me with this stuff, like wrapped around me too, just like stared at me in like a shaming type situation. It was great. So, yeah, all of this stuff is going on simultaneously. And it's intended to break you down, which also comes to a great point that Ari had said that we should touch on during this episode, 
girls were mm-hmm. treated very differently here. And usually from every group of girls, there was one girl that they would choose to make an example out of. I'm not going to name names, but there was a girl before me who was definitely that person. And everybody from her group said, like, she was that person. The staff were out to get her, out to make an example of her. And from my group of girls, they've said the same thing about me. They're like, I don't know what it was, but they were determined to make an example out of you. And you had it worse than anybody else during our time there. And there were other girls who, you know, maybe did a lot worse things before coming there, right? And had like more. Um, tangible issues on paper, I guess you could say, right? Because I, I was yeah. somebody who was like very depressed, and I'm not like excusing any of my behaviors from before I was sent away or anything. But I also wasn't out there like on drugs, drinking, having sex. You know, like I, I didn't really have like those types of behaviors. So it was just like a strange dynamic because there were girls who were sent there for like using math or like doing heroin who weren't quite treated that way or girls who came from military families who were expected to act a certain way or be held to a certain standard because their parents were military things like that that it's just like everybody was just very much held to a different standard and then yeah the next thing was the love bombing right so it, it sounds like, too, they kind of played, they played on weaknesses, but they also played on perceived str- strengths. They're like, okay, well, we know your family has this background, so we're going to abuse that. You know what I'm saying? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Absolutely. It's just ridiculous. And then, you know, the next thing was really like the love bombing. That's the next step. And it took me forever, like, up until a few years ago, I was still very confused by, like, why certain things happen. Like, for example, we would be treated so poorly like that, right? But then they would have a group of girls that they would Mm -hmm. take to the movies, which is, like, unheard of. Unheard of! But there was one time where we went to go and see dolphin tails in theaters and it was like me and two other girls and I was just waiting for the other shoe to drop but it never did and I was so freaking perplexed and same thing they took us into town a handful of girls a small handful of girls to see the sound of music just like a local play that was put on and I was so perplexed like why it makes no sense we're literally being tortured day in day out and then you take us to the sound of music like it doesn't make sense you know but it's the love bombing to make you literally second guess everything about your reality like is it really so bad if i'm watching dolphin tales (laughs) and i'm I'm sure you know and i'm sure a photo op too to send back home to your parents oh a hundred percent because how can it be that bad if they took you to dolphin tales you know how could it? Yeah. And then that led to the faking it to make it. There was literally a point in my quote unquote treatment where my parents sent me a letter and they were like, you know, we're cutting off communication with you. You've been here for X amount of time. Like you should have graduated by now, but you haven't. And like the financial well has run dry. Your discharge date is X date. It's not moving. 
and we expect that you're going to make some progress in the program before then, but we're not talking to you until you do. And that was very atypical. Like that did not happen. I'm not aware of anybody else who ever had a similar experience, but that date was my saving grace. And at one point I literally just decided, I was like, I have been doing the best that I can, but I'm going to be a kiss ass and anything that I can fake to make myself look better I'm going to fake to make myself look better. How, so like how long was it how long before you were discharged did you receive this letter? If I had to guess and this really is a shot in the dark guess, I would say 6 months before my discharge. Okay. So and, at this point, you know, there is a light at the end of the tunnel and you're like, okay, I've got a shot. Right. And at that point, I faked it to make it. I mean, I got all those challenges that I told you about probably around that time. And I think a lot of that was a direct response. Like there had been a runaway attempt on site. And I had a family visit in town with my parents where they came out. And I didn't know that, like, we weren't supposed to talk about the runaway things. I just figured that was something that our parents would be told you know what I mean it was such a big deal for us that I just thought surely our parents would have been made aware you know what I mean and I mentioned that to my parents on a visit oh and also you know what it must have been that I got some of these challenges before that now that I'm thinking about it I think things just got worse after if that makes sense but I had at the bare minimum the running in the trough for sure. But things got added at different points in time, okay? But bare minimum, I would have had running in the trough because I remember my parents, like when I got out of the shower, I was wrapped in a towel and my mom saw the bruises and she was like, whoa, how did you get those? And I explained to her that it was from running with the trough. And I could tell that my mom was like concerned, but she was like, oh, I guess you need to get off that challenge fast then. And I was like, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) you know what I mean? Like not the best response, but also like, I I really don't blame my mom, you know, like for, for the situation. No, I think, you know, again, the parents are manipulated. Right. And I think you're just in this point where you've been manipulated. Again, you're desperate. You're being fed all these lies. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You've spent, an ass load of money you're not looking at this through the lens of critical thinking no and I remember at some point on that visit bringing up this runaway attempt that had happened like these girls I don't even know how they did it because we had to number our pages right and and like if a page went missing it was a big deal a staff member would notice and it was just this was to prevent us passing notes but these girls somehow were passing notes. This one girl was supposed to get out earlier. She knew her get out date, but it wasn't as far in advance as mine. It was like coming up fast, like within a couple weeks or something. But she knew her mm-hmm. date and she was coordinating with this girl where after she got out, like on X date, she was going to come back with friends and like bust her out type thing, which is like a huge, 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 huge scandal right because we weren't even allowed to talk to each other so like I casually mentioned it to my parents and my parents were like what like there was a runaway attempt and this and that I don't know if they told my parents like oh that never happened or what but it was after that that you know they were like 
that contact was cut off again. And I think that that might have mm-hmm. been in retaliation in part to me telling my parents something that I didn't even know I wasn't supposed to tell them. You know what I mean? So anyway, after that, though, I really was like faking it to make it. I remember being like, oh, like, I'm just having a really hard day. Can I go use like the punching bags or go throw rocks at the rock pile? Or like, you know, is there a staff member available to talk? I'm just, I could just really, you know, I need to use my tools, those types of things. And it's like, I didn't give a shit about using those things because it wasn't going to be helpful for me because it was all fake. You know what I mean? But Mm -hmm. uh, just doing the things that they wanted to see like on their little checklist to make me fit into their perfect little cookie cutter whatever it was that they were expecting and it worked because I was moved to level three before I was sent home which is level three of six I was dropped and promoted all over the place throughout my time but level three was like a really respectable level because once you get to level three ceremony prep and you do your ceremony you're home generally within a couple of months at that point because levels three level three ceremony prep to level six graduation is just a couple of months. Everything else is the really hard part, if that makes sense. So that brings us to renouncing loved ones. That's our next step here. I've made some bullet points here on my little outline and we kind of already touched on them for other reasons, but like the story of my life assignment that we talked about where, you know, we're, kind of changing our loved one's perceptions of who we are by giving these false confessions. That's a big one. Um, The access to family was an issue. Um, I think the only one that I didn't really touch on specifically related to family is missing funerals. That was a big thing. Um, I know that I wasn't the only one there who unfortunately missed funerals of like immediate loved ones which is very traumatic and damaging in and of itself but we weren't allowed to go back home even for funerals my grandfather passed away while I was in there and that's something that like still to some extent fucks me up a bit because he didn't even know that I was sent away to begin with and then like I wasn't there at his deathbed with the rest of my family and stuff and like my sisters tried to be like oh, well, like, it wouldn't have made a difference anyway. And, like, he was just in such bad shape. And I'm like, it wouldn't have made a difference for you, right? But, like, for me, it would have made a difference just to be there and just for him to know that, like, I didn't just forget about him or choose not to show up in his last moments. I know that, like... Well, and that's the thing. Funerals are for the living. Exactly. I'm like, They're not for the dead person. The dead person doesn't give a shit. No, and like it just would have meant something to me to not have it looming over me for the rest of my life that in my last moments or like in his last moments, my grandfather wasn't thinking about like why has LJ stopped calling for the last year? You know, like why isn't LJ here? And I'm sure that probably wasn't at like the forefront of his deathbed deathbed brain. You know what I mean? But I also Mm -hmm. have to wonder if that would like cross his mind and that just breaks my heart you know and now with um along with renouncing loved ones you know I mentioned level three ceremony prep and I'm sure some of you were like what the actual fuck is the ceremony what are we prepping for god so glad you asked so a level three ceremony colonoscopy prep 
it's so weird so but it was like a big deal like people really looked forward to this so when you were on level three ceremony prep what you would do is you would fly home and you'd be home for a few days and you would fill up suitcases with all of your stuff right anything that mattered to you before that was a part of your old life you would fly back to the ranch with that and you would go into seclusion for a couple of weeks and using poster board etc you would map out the story of your life because remember we don't talk about life before the ranch we basically Mm -hmm. don't talk to each other so when you're on level three ceremony prep you're prepping Mm -hmm. to tell everybody there your story about your life before the ranch and this is the only time it's going to be acceptable to talk about it is on ceremony day so you put all of this up you take accountability for everything that you did your whole transition everything and then you go and at the end of it you go to burn barrels we sing praise and worship songs they burn everything they've ever owned and loved (laughs) and then they disappear for a few hours right and where they disappear to is they're taken into town to get a haircut because they haven't been allowed to cut their hair for the entirety of their time here which by now is probably a couple of years if you've made it to a ceremony. So they go and they get their hair cut in town and they come back with food from a store. So it's not food that we've ordered from a Cisco bulk order. It's like SpaghettiOs or stuff that like we usually would never just eat, right? And it's whatever they want to eat. And then we have that and people ask questions like respectfully in in a kind of sanitized environment about you know their life before and like their faith journey and this and that and then after that we never talk about it again and then in a couple weeks they graduate very weird (laughs) very weird but that's what the level three ceremony is now also when you go to leave And I don't know if this is necessarily true for graduates as well, because I didn't graduate the program, but I think that this is the standard because I know everybody else that I've talked to had to sign something like this. They signed something stating that they won't have social media, that they won't talk to old friends, and that they'll adhere to strict routine and guidelines on their return. Like I remember very vividly signing this contract Mm -hmm. and looking at my dad and under the social media, it was like, I will not have a Facebook. I will not have an Instagram. And this is how isolated I was from society. Okay. I looked at Mm -hmm. my dad and I said, daddy, what's an Instagram? And he looked at me like I had five heads and he was like, Instagram, don't worry about it. (laughs) But I'm like, that is something that's just like burned into my head. But I'm like, Instagram, like how far removed do you have to be from society that you're asking what Instagram is? Like it came out while I was there. And you're asking your father who is, you know, not of the Instagram generation. No, he's definitely not an Instagram guy, but he was like, Instagram, don't worry about it. I'm like, okay. (laughs) That was so weird though. Like that's burned into my head as like, a very much like when I'm going through the like how removed I was that just mm-hmm. puts it into yeah. perspective. We didn't have TV. We didn't have like ex- like free access to internet. We had like uh, 
a homeschooling internet-based program at one point, but you know that thing was locked down like Fort Knox. You know what I mean? Of course it Um, was. Yeah. And let's see. Oh, along with the loved ones. So I was telling Toe this the other day, but at one point I had like my only home visit where I was allowed to actually leave the ranch and go home for a short visit. And I think it was just like 48 hours, something very small. And towards the end of the visit, my mom was like, you know, don't you want to call Lexi or something? Lexi's my best friend from childhood. Yeah. And like my whole family loved Lexi. I mean, loves Lexi current. Like she's still my best friend since fifth grade. And she's um, she's fantastic. And she's been there through thick and thin. My mom's like, don't you want to call Lexi? And I was like, yeah, and she's a great feelings friend. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, yeah, I want to call Lexi. And she's like, why didn't you ask? And I was like, I didn't know I was allowed to ask because you're so afraid. You're like walking on eggshells that you're going to do the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah. Yeah. So I remember being allowed to call Lexi and that was like a huge deal. But like I was so afraid to even ask to contact my friend is how far deep they'd had me into renouncing my loved ones and my quote unquote past life right Mm -hmm. and then also we have the introduction of core beliefs which this is something that starts the moment you set foot on the ranch and it doesn't stop until you leave okay so Mm -hmm. the introduction of core beliefs is going to start with the holy cowgirl manual that they give you that we talked about earlier in like episode one some of you might be familiar with emdr therapy it's usually used in people with trauma These people would actually misuse EMDR because we're doing them on false memories that don't exist. And they're basically using EMDR to make you believe that all of these things that have happened or not happened are somehow your fault, which is literally not how EMDR is meant to work. Um, They misused it so severely that it's actually been advised against for me as a treatment method for my therapy on an ongoing basis because it was abused and misused so incorrectly for so long while I was there. Um, Right. And then along with the introduction of core beliefs, you know, they have the isolating you from the family. They're telling you you're going to do family therapy, uh, but they actually drive a further wedge between you and your family to kind of separate you. And then they give your family these core beliefs that like you're manipulative, you're difficult, you're non-compliant, all of these things. When in reality, you might really be trying the best you can open to the program, this and that, and they're going out of their way to psychologically break you completely unnecessarily. Um, And, you know, we're having the harsh consequences. When you get out of the place Something that was common was that the owners would ask either before you even leave the ranch or shortly after for you to write a positive review of the facility, which is like duress at its finest, okay? But you write that review, and it goes up, and then when you're outside the facility for long enough to where you're like, hey, like, the things that happened there weren't okay, and you want to redo your review right like I went Mm -hmm. back and I redid my review and then they actually sued me for defamation 
which is just like how fucked up does this place have to be if you can say Mm -hmm. like these are the things that I experienced this is how abusive I felt that it was where if they felt like oh my god like that's shocking to hear would they not want to reach out to you and get more information and see what staff members were maybe responsible no they'll just sue you into shutting up because they know exactly what the fuck they did and here's a fun fact about defamation suits. The information has to be false. Yeah, and that's the thing is, like, it never was. And so, yeah, that's why I'm still talking about it. <laughs> so, I don't know, guys. Uh, beyond that, you know, me and my husband connected years later of all things through, like, um, somebody else who went to the girls' ranch with me. She found him mm-hmm. on Reddit, gave me his contact information. It started out as a joke where I was like, oh, yeah, like, we're going to link up. But I was like, I just wanted to hear what the boys' side of the ranch was like. And we mm-hmm. ended up connecting, falling in love. And, you know, we had a couple of good years together before he unfortunately passed away. But during that time, you know, we filed, well, I say we, I filed police report for the abuse that I experienced. Ian personally didn't decide to do that. I think he was just at a different place in his journey, which is completely fine. It's a very personal choice. But for me, like I finally, because of Ian and because of, you know, speaking about things openly was able to come to the conclusion that like, this wasn't just a bad childhood experience. This was criminal child abuse. And this was a cult that I was in. And I filed a criminal complaint. There's legal recourse underway. We did receive one question from one of our listeners. Tell who asked the question. Oh, do you know what? That was our sweet friend, Melinda. Melinda, that's what I thought. From Flower Ground Escape. Super cute stuff. You should check out her company too because we like creep her on her Facebook business. No, she's a great friend of the pod. And her question was, is this specific place still in operation? And the good answer is that last year, because of all of the negative publicity that they received, they did end up shutting down. Now, places like this tend to shut down and reopen under different names. For example, Ian's ranch that he went to started off as Mount Carmel while he was there and then closed Mm -hmm. and reopened after an attempted murder against staff and an escape plot, which is a whole other story for another day. Not a part four, but I mean, it is a real thing that happened. There are like records about it online Mm -hmm. that you can find. But anyway, after that, they closed and reopened under Triangle Cross Ranch. So yes, they did finally close last year. I'm very happy about that. And there's a lawsuit active against them right now. We're waiting to see how that goes. But right now, I'm just kind of like keeping an eye out to see if they try to reopen under a different name. I think that would be a ballsy move in the midst of litigation. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping that they're for real closed and not like fake closed. Yeah, we will fight them to the death. That's a fact. Uh, Because if there's anything that they should know about me by now, it's that I have a big fucking mouth and I'm going to keep telling the truth, even if it makes them uncomfortable. Because they sure had no problem making me uncomfortable. And I will stand next to her and tell the truth. And if you want to sue us, sue us. That's pretty much where we're at. That's fine. It wouldn't be the first time. So 
Um, you know, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the, the thing is that we have the truth on our side, and I feel really yeah. great about that. You know, like, it, um, they always said sorry. the truth will set you free, and I'm like, you know what? It sure does. It sure does. It sure does. Sure does. Thanks for um, there was another somewhat question. I don't know if we want to touch on this. This was also from Melinda. And she was questioning the girl who graduated, or I'm sorry, who who was a staff member and then came back as a participant. Was that something that you want to touch on? So I can touch on it briefly, but what I will say is that I genuinely don't know, like, the motivations behind this person. Uh, sure. we weren't able to talk like that, right? Now, what mm, I yeah. do know is that her experience wasn't positive as a girl, for sure. And I also feel really confident in giving you guys my personal experience, which can't answer how the experience was for her, but can maybe give you guys some insight into this type of trauma, right? So mm -hmm. after I left Trinity and I came home, I remember obviously the abuse that I went through was like pretty severe mm -hmm. but I came home and I was so overwhelmed and overstimulated by being in a real world environment like not being isolated in that like cult type setting that I remember yeah. just like hysterically crying on my front porch and thinking like I need to go back like I I'm, I'm not equipped for this like I, I need to go back to Trinity because I can't function here. I can't function in the real world yet. Like, I'm not ready. And I wonder if it was something similar for her. I can't say that for sure. Obviously, I didn't end up going back. Thankfully, that wasn't an option for me, meaning that we didn't have the financial resources to put me through something like that. And I'm, I'm very grateful because going back would have only done more damage for me. But it is mm -hmm. something where, like, it's almost like a Stockholm Syndrome type thing where you, like, want to run back yeah. to your abuser even though you know it was bad because at least it's predictable, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I can't speak for that individual specifically, but I do know that it's a common phenomenon to get out, recognize that the stuff that happened to you was completely unacceptable, and to still feel confused and, like, you should mm -hmm. be there. Yeah. I think the last question that I'm going to ask is from myself for the greater group, uh, for the greater good of the audience here, because ultimately our goal in sharing this story is to keep this from having, happening to other people, whether that's sure. through getting these facilities shut down. And if we can't shut them all down, at the very least, we can keep the general public informed. So just as a quick little brief blurb, what would be the main things you would share to the parents out there who who may be in their at their wits end, you know, who may be in a similar place to where your parents were? What would you tell them to look out for? I would say a big red flag is any type of access to your child being limited. If communication is monitored, that's mm -hmm. bad. If you are asking your children on visits if, you know, they're being abused and things like that and you're not, like, 
able to get them alone to have those conversations or take them away from the facility to ask those types of questions, that's a problem. But it's such a tough position because even when I was there, right? I mean, mm-hmm. literally CPS was brought in and I was in a trailer with CPS and they were asking me questions and giving me the opportunity to say that I was being abused and I still thought it was a test. So I think the first thing I would really tell parents is exhaust everything that you can at family therapy Mm -hmm. first, local therapy first, so that you can keep a close eye on things. There are very few circumstances under which long-term inpatient care is actually warranted. So... Mm -hmm. I would start there, start as close to home as you possibly can. And, you know, it's a family problem, not a problem with the individual more often than not. So don't be trying to focus on treating just the target patient, treat the family. Yeah. I mean, and I don't know. Just, Just know that there's a lot of these really predatory places out there. I've personally seen, I've personally seen, you know, parents on social media talking about, oh, my child's going to a boarding school. And just from five years of listening to LG's experience, I can look at the pamphlet and say, no, baby, that's not a boarding school. Right. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, so just, just guys, I, I can't stress this enough. Be careful. I know being a parent to teenagers is hard. Um, uh, you know, I know, I know you may be at your wits end. I, I hear you, but you know, we don't tell these stories for nothing. This is real shit. Exactly, exhaust all options. And LJ and her peers are are permanently affected by what they went through, even in small ways. Absolutely. I mean, down to, and I'm not going to go into detail because that's their story to tell, but down to like every day, simple habits that yeah. you wouldn't even, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, it's still there. Yeah. I mean, I remember getting back from the ranch and it was quite some time before I could even take like a reasonable length bath or shower like my mom would literally send me back into the bathroom and be like are you kidding me like you can't possibly be done and I'm like so confused because I'm like well at Trinity we only had five minutes every like two times you know what I mean (laughs) I was like what do you mean like this is this is all we had like I was in there seven minutes (laughs) I thought I was living the life of luxury so I had to like relearn basic things like what a normal shower is and stuff like that it's it's crazy how how much it affects even like the littlest things that you do yeah yeah so just um just be careful guys evade cults stay safe yeah and as always um you know maybe you also survived a cult and you want to share your story we'd love to hear it yeah and seriously if like if you have Yeah, like, we would literally consider having you as a guest. Like, reach out to us via email and send us your case suggestions, as always. I know we say it often, but really do. If you guys want those shirts, they're seriously only going to be up for 15 days. It's a brief campaign. 
and we're trying to get those new microphones so we can keep getting this podcast even better for you guys. So definitely yeah. consider that if it's something that you feel would behoove you. That's a word Toe likes right now. Oh, I love that word. It's my special word. Thanks for saying it. But yeah, I think that's all we have for you guys today. And I think our next regular episode is going to be... Dun, 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 dun. Lacey Fletcher. Lacey Beautiful. Fletcher, that's a foul case. That's a foul case. Awesome. And our next following crime for you guys. I know we talked about maybe doing Bruce Blackman. I decided to do a lesser known case from Ooh. London. So it's going to be on a woman named Gita. And we'll talk more about why I'm just calling her Gita, no last name, when we do the episode. That's but uh, kind of- really uh undercovered case for sure usually a criminal with only one name is like extra spooky so she's actually the victim in this case oh okay yeah well. oopsie daisy <laughs> <laughs> i was like i was like usually a criminal with only one name is extra spooky okay well, yeah. well sorry about her victimhood um god same see you guys next out. week Toodaloo. Bye. Bye.